Dev Discussions, the podcast where I talk to developers about intermediate and advanced development topics. My name is Sean McCool, and I'll be your host. In this episode, I'm talking with Adam Wathen about test-driven development. Before we start, I just want to warn you that this is the audio version of a live video recording. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Um, so, first of all, thanks for chatting with me. Yeah, no, no problem. So, um, I know that you're kind of talking at Laracon about TDD, and I've been kind of pushing TDD in, in my business for, I don't know, something like eight months, and I feel like I now have enough experience to kind of talk about it, and I wanted to kind of talk to you and get some ideas about, you know, where you are with it and see if we can kind of just... You know, like, I don't know if I can learn a little bit from your process and everything. Sure. I feel like it'll probably be a bit bi-directional, too. So um, I guess kind of the background of uh, the talk that I'm giving is I started playing around with TDD a lot more um, earlier this year, like probably February. And I was finding that the, a lot of the resources and stuff I was reading made things kind of seem really hard. Um like, you'd read an example or something, and you'd follow through and follow along, and, and everything would, like, seem so straightforward and would, like, totally make sense. And it was like, oh, yeah, this is, like, so perfect because it was, like, a totally hand-curated example that just, like, was so easy to work with, right? And then I would get into, like, the real world with my own stuff, and all of a sudden things would start to seem a lot more challenging, especially when I was trying to take into account that... Uh, the whole kind of test-driven design side of things too, right, where where there seems to be this big pressure to do things in this sort of like architecturally pure and perfect way. And I found there was a lot of obstacles there that were getting in the way of me testing because it was kind of making me worry too much about like, oh, my test shouldn't be allowed to talk to the database, so I have to make sure that this class that I'm testing isn't talking to any real collaborators and that I'm making sure I'm using test doubles and mocks and stuff, and I only want to test this behavior here. Um, and it started to get frustrating, and I found that um, it almost pushed me away from testing, and I still wanted to do it, but I had a really hard time doing it because I felt like I couldn't tackle all these kind of issues at once and trying to figure out how to write, you know, theoretically better code that was, like, easier to test. Um, and after a lot of conversations that I had online with people and, like, some really dedicated practice, uh, I started to kind of discover some strategies that worked for me to allow me to write my tests first and get the benefits of having tests, like being able to refactor things um, easily and stuff like that, uh, that didn't necessarily involve always isolating things from the database or making sure I was using mocks and stubs for everything. Kind of like uh, a little bit more of a relaxed approach that allowed me to still get the benefits of testing without like feeling blocked because like I was trying to take too big of a leap forward at once, if that makes sense. So um, the talk that I'm giving at Laracon is kind of about that journey and about some of the realizations I made along the way about what I think really is good code and that testability isn't necessarily, I mean, at least testability in isolation isn't necessarily the only yardstick for code quality and uh, how and what the real benefits are to me and some of the strategies you can use to get most of those benefits without necessarily having 
to be writing perfectly pure, architecturally perfect code. Um, so that's kind of where I'm planning to go with it. Um, what style of TDD are you using? Are you, are you using like the Uncle Bob style of, of like really pure, um, write just enough of your tests to to make everything pass, and then go into your code and and write you know return a literal, and then go back to your code, write another test, and then change the literal to being a conditional that kind of thing. Yeah, I kind of go back and forth. I mean, like um, when I was first getting into it, I did that more, um, trying to follow like the sort of like Kent Beck, like totally step-by-step, like, sliming your tests and forcing yourself to generalize by, like, introducing another almost duplicate test case that, like, forces you to make sure that you're not returning a hard-coded value and stuff like that. And even to the point where I would have tests that were, like, test that this object can be instantiated and stuff like that, um, I kind of got started to get away from that more um, and started to do things in a little bit more of a practical way. Like, the first test that I introduce is never going to be, like, test that something can be instantiated. Uh, to satisfy that test, the object is going to have to be instantiable. You know what I mean? Um, so that will force me to create the class, usually, rather than having to write specific tests for, for things like that. Um, yeah, and I, I also kind of lean mostly on the more like state-based testing approach versus the kind of using mocks to design your system and like the messaging sort of thing. That's kind of where I am now because I'm not an expert on this stuff either, right? Like, I'm trying to figure it out as I go, and that's kind of what I've been practicing, and that's what's been working well for me, almost to the point where, like, I try to think in terms of um, just true and false assertions. And I don't just make true and false assertions, but I try and think of things I can test that I could test with a true or false assertion. And just kind of thinking in that way, like, I mean, you'll use the helpers, like, you know, assert same or, like, assert equals or assert contains and stuff like that, but you could still test those with just a true-false if you had to. Um, and just kind of thinking in that sort of state-based way as a, a starting point was kind of a good way for me to go. Uh, what about you? Well, as a disclaimer, I'm I'm still trying to figure all this out, and like I said, I've been kind of working on this for something like eight months, and yeah. only recently do I really feel like I'm starting really to, to do it, and that's kind of why I asked you to talk to me, because I want to, you know, get some insights that you had, and I feel like I ha- now have enough experience to actually kind of talk about it a little bit, mm. um, but I find that as I'm going through projects, and I and I have a couple projects that I'm working on that are they're completely TDD, and sometimes I'm doing the... I really want, I really genuinely believe in the whole Uncle Bob can't back do everything exactly right, be extremely dogmatic about it all. I really kind of I idealize that in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to work towards that. Um, I'm, I'm lenient with myself for now because I feel like what I'm doing is giving me the skills to work towards what sure. I want. Yeah, absolutely. Until I get there, I'm okay with not, with not succeeding in every way. I, I'm looking for small wins. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm in this exact same boat. Like, um, I still have a lot of things that I'm trying to figure out. Like, for one thing for me especially is uh, I have a hard time um, figuring out what the first test to write is a lot of the time, especially when you're building web applications, right? And uh, I try to do a lot of stuff kind of outside in, so I'm usually doing considering the user interface before I'm considering 
how the system actually works underneath. Mm. And I let kind of like how I plan to use the application guide, how I'm going to kind of structure things. And a lot of the time you're just kind of tinkering around trying to figure out, you know, how should how should I move around in this app or like how should things be laid out and uh, it's really hard to find that like exact cutoff point where it's like okay like this is now when I have to start making sure that like anything I write after this has a test board or now I figured out enough of what I want to do I'm supposed to you know throw that stuff away and build it again from a a test first angle and uh, when you're trying to do like the really I mean so what do you do I know like the when I Last time I talked to you about testing stuff, you were using Behat and Mink for acceptance testing, and yeah. I think PHP unit at the time. But I think I think you're using PHP spec more often now. Yeah, I started with uh, Behat, and then I switched to Codeception for a little while. Yeah, and then I switched back to Behat, and I'm doing everything with Behat because for me, there's so much value in the language of like these formalized tests written in Gherkin and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really find that so much of what I'm working on lately is is communication oriented. It's about talking with people a little bit more than it is about like coding something in a specific sure. way, which I find interesting because you don't really necessarily realize how much of the failings, like for example, so many of my failings were not necessarily technical, although there were plenty of there was plenty of that as well, but um, just making sure that everybody's on the right page, we all had the same idea of what was supposed to happen. Um, when when we're using Behat and going you know full BDD, then we actually have an idea of what has to be actually written. So sure. we work out the spec and then we just code from the top down, like you said, just from the outside in. Yeah. Um, so we get like the, our our kind of scenarios kind of figured out in in whatever language is appropriate. And I don't know what's right here, but what I have started doing is I when building a feature context. For Behat, I make I get the routes and everything working it in my application, and then I make it so it returns whatever is going to make the, the feature context pass. So I'm kind of like interacting between the feature context and the controller a little bit. Yep. And so once I get that working, then I just kind of forget that that test is there altogether, and then start in with and I do, I do the command oriented interface thing. So where everything yep. from the controller or command line interfaces is running through a command. So I start with building that command and then the handler and then I get into the handler a little bit and I realize, oh, I need a repository. So I build an interface for that repository and then I need, um, you know, whatever I need. And I uh, kind of bail on the handler a little bit and then go into those subclasses. And do you find that when you're doing that, when you're coming from the outside in, you end up bouncing around a lot at the beginning just to get these classes built because I, I do I use PHP spec now yeah and so all of my classes and all of my methods are actually generated by PHP spec every time okay and so I end up if I need a new class I just say uh, PHP spec describe and then I tell the class and then I sure. run it and then it generates the class for me and then I have that you know inst- is it instantialized initializable test that we were talking yep. about earlier yep. um, and so then I realize, oh, I'm going to need something else to to work with this. So I write the first test for that, and I can't get it to pass because I have a, uh, other classes that are a prerequisite, other yeah. object types. So then I yeah. just go in, loop, 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 and create these. So are you writing tests for those classes, like, while the other tests are still failing? 
That's, yeah. that's this is like a an interesting topic of discussion for me in general because I kind of bounced around a bit there. Like uh, when I first got into it, like one of the bi- biggest challenges for me was like, well, okay, I'm writing this test, but this test uh, for me to you know uh, make this test pass, I need to write these other classes here and now. Am I allowed to write those classes based on the information in this test, or do those classes need their own tests as well, right? And what I kind of have come to, and I, I, I don't know if this is what I'm going to feel like forever, but um, I've sort of, like, been thinking about this concept of what I've kind of been calling, like, the lowest stable detail in, like, my system, and that's kind of the level that I'm testing at usually. So an example was uh, when we were at Laracon New York... I was there with a friend of mine, and we are hacking away, just building Conway's Game of Life, trying to do it totally TDD, just for fun. And our first uh, implementation, uh, are you familiar with Conway's Game of Life? Like, yeah. Yeah, so we had, like, um, a world class, right? And our, our first implementation, uh, the world just had, like, a multidimensional array of basically Boolean flags, like true or false, to represent if that cell was living or dead. There was no cell class, there was no living cell, no dead cell, but we had a comprehensive test suite for, like, the world for that, like, super, super simplistic implementation. Um, then we started kind of backfilling in, like, extracting some functionality from the world and behavior to, like, these cell classes, but I didn't write tests for them right away um, because... As soon as I write a test for a cell, now all of a sudden my old implementation, which still satisfied uh, proving that like the system, like the world, did everything it was supposed to do, that like test like uh, wouldn't, or the test suite would fail with that old implementation, even though the system was still behaving as a whole a- accurately. It's like the cell classes are like private classes to the world, just like you don't test private methods, right? Like yeah. that class itself is almost private. So once you've decided absolutely for sure, like, yes, these cell classes are going to stick around and I like this design, then I would probably backfill the tests um, because otherwise you're coupling yourself to, like, a specific implementation. And until you know, like, what, like, boundary is, like, stable, I almost feel like testing, like, inside of a boundary that you're not sure is, like, a definite finite boundary yet is going to result in... Uh, writing tests that are coupled to a specific implementation, preventing you from refactoring at, like, the next level up. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, so... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, no, totally, go ahead. So, uh, with PHP spec, I'm and when I have a, a class I'm, I'm working on, I decide that I want to be able to call this on the class, and, and the expected behavior should be testable in, in some arbitrary way. And then if I decide that I'm not going to be able to satisfy that using the infrastructure that I have already written, what I'll do is comment out the guts of that test so that when I run PHP stuff again, it'll give me a yellow for that test, meaning like it's a to-do, it needs to be filled in. And then I go to what I I think needs to be done next. Because I'm always doing design up front, like not, not big design, but I have to really think through the problem before I even start with TDD. And yep. If you've watched Uncle Bob's uh, transformation priority premise videos or anything like that, okay, then he talks about how to um, just use TDD purely to arrive at uh, actual algorithms that solve problems, at, like purely as a design tool. Which mm-hmm. I'm that's just above me right now. I don't I don't I understand agree. how to make that all fit together. Yeah, I don't know if that's like a problem with um, like I don't know if that's like not being there yet or if it's just that. 
Um, sometimes there's this like kind of idea that testing on its own is going to take me to the right design no matter what, and I don't have to know how to design software as, lo as long as I know how to test. And I think that's a fallacy. Like, mm. I, I don't think that you can just like learn everything there is to know about testing and have that automatically result in the right classes with the right methods and stuff like that. Like, I, th I think like if you want to, like, yeah, that's a nice idea, <laughs> but I think you still have to like just be an experienced developer and have ideas about like what part of the system is going to need to be resilient to change and yeah. um, and stuff like that, or ha have an idea of how the system is going to evolve over time, so you can make those decisions up front. Like, uh, maybe that's not true. Maybe you just maybe you can just get good enough at testing that you don't have to think about design actively anymore, and that it just happens automatically. But I've found that that's not the case. I mean, the whole idea behind TDD, right, is the ability to, like, I want to be able to write my tests, uh, implement it in, like, whatever way requires the least amount of mental effort, like, just, like, a, if, it, if it's a 100-line method that, like, passes the test, who cares? But now I have the test coverage that allows me to start thinking about how I want to design it on my own, test aside, and design it in a way that, based on my skills and experience as a developer, seems like a look a good way to design it in the context of the system that I'm building, right? Like, the whole idea is to allow refactoring. Yeah. Um, and if if the test automatically leads you to the right design, then why are you... What do you need to refactor? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, so... the whole thing is just, like, so much more complicated and there's so much more to it than uh, uh, it can seem, I guess. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's a there's like room for autopilot in any in any of this yeah. in any design anything at all. Um, and you know, Uncle Bob he says stuff like, uh, "You want to avoid being in the zone." That's why he doesn't like wearing headphones and listening to music and whatnot. He doesn't want to be in the zone because there's a chance that he will uh, just go on autopilot, and not be really thinking through what he's doing. Mm -hmm. But uh, do you find that you have the experience of you, you get down and you satisfy a test, and then it's time for the second test, um, the second bit of functionality, and so you write the test for that, and you start going there, and then all of a sudden you realize that your initial design is not going to cut it, and so you actually then refactor uh, what you already have uh, to go along with this new idea of what the design yeah, should be. Yeah, I guess. And all your old tests still work, so they're, they're verifying the validity of that new design as far as the history of what you've done, you know, yeah. the, the, the specs you've already written or the tests you've already written. Yeah, to me, I guess, like, where that's kind of uh, the next level of abstraction above the whole, like, sliming a test with, like, a hard-coded value, right, where, like, um, you're still passing the test with, like, a more generalized approach and, like, uh, you're adding new behavior and, like, the other tests still pass despite the fact that you have to change the way the design works. And it kind of brings me to, like, another point where I've had situations where it doesn't work out that way, where I'm sure you have too, I'm sure everyone has, where you have a first test, you write some functionality that implements that test, and then the next test causes you to change your design and makes the first test fail because maybe the way that you set up that test uh, isn't an accurate representation of how the class is meant to be used anymore, and you end up having to change that test. I find I get a lot of 
a lot of learning happens for me when cases like that happen, and it makes me realize how I could have written the test in the first place to be more resilient against uh, implementation changes in my class. And I think a lot of it often comes down to um, my setup and my assertions in my test happening at the same level of abstraction. Uh, so a lot of the time if you're doing some setup that involves like kind of poking switches on the inside of a class to set it up in a specific way and then you're testing like uh, a more like some sort of named concept that's like more general like I'm trying to think of a good example uh, have you read Corey Haynes's book uh, the four simple rules of design it's pretty good yeah. it's really short it's like 70 pages but he gives an example it's like a, the whole thing is about Conway's game of life that's like his example for everything and he gives this example of like a test where you want to test that a, a newly created world is empty. Um, so he says like you know world equals new world and then like uh, assert true world dot empty. Um, and then he goes on to describe how you're making these assumptions about what state a world is in when you create it brand new. And the better test to write would be like create a static factory method on the world class called like empty that creates an empty world that its implementation is just creating a new world with no setup and then you test that that world is empty so now your setup and like your assertions are kind of at the mm -hmm. same level of abstraction and speaking the same language where one isn't doesn't have knowledge about the internals of how something's working and the other one is speaking about it from like a more domain specific language yeah. point you know what I'm saying yeah so um, in like PHP or something you'd call it like a named constructor Right. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I find, like, uh, he actually, one of the points he makes in that is that um, he basically tries to avoid using the new keyword outside of a, that same class. Like, So basically he uses a name constructor for mm -hmm. everything all the time. So whatever state you're asking for that object to be in has a name. It's not just a new user. It's, like, uh, you know, an unregistered user or, or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, that's probably not the best example. Well, I, I think, we're, I think we all still say new user. <laughs> this specific, this specifically is tied a lot into DDD uh, yeah. and a lot of the concepts in DDD. So um, that's something obviously that that I've been pursuing as well. And and uh, for example, Matthias Frost, uh, he talks about how you can you know create these named constructors, these static factory methods on a on a model or on an object rather, and then you make their constructor private, so you can't actually construct that sure. object yeah. from outside of the class. And then you call, for example, member colon colon register with the appropriate uh, arguments. Yep. And, th and then in that method, it's actually instantiating a new member and yeah, exactly. initializing the, the, the values and everything that needs to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's pretty much, that's mostly how I've been doing it. Um, especially, it, it makes a lot of sense in a lot of situations, especially with like value objects. Sure. Uh, so you're, you're, there's a million ways you can construct a lot of values. Uh, so yeah. if you have a money object, you could construct yeah. a string from another yeah. money object. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. Totally. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, and maybe you want to do like a con currency conversion at the same time or something that like so you can create yeah. U.S. dollars from Canadian dollars or from whatever, right? Yeah. And it, it's something that also helps because PHP is to have method overloading. Yeah, which is unfortunate, but that's the reality of a dynamically typed yeah, language. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, there's a lot um, of things. Like that. That's a side point, but yeah, I do miss some little things like that from like my .NET days, where method overloading was cool, operator overloading was cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, do you find yourself using BDD um, to make web apps uh, more often than not, or? Um, I don't think I have got to the point where I'm following that super rigorously uh, because, like I was talking about before, I do still kind of struggle with the acceptance test stuff. Um, I find the best place for me to practice the TDD stuff has been in, like, package development and stuff like Mm -hmm. that where, like, there's no user interface. Uh, I mean, there's a user interface in the sense of my public API, um, but not in the sense of, you know, trying to decide, like, well, what should this assertion look like in this acceptance test? Should I be asserting that, like, I see this text in an H1 tag? Is that, like, a really stable thing to be asserting against? Probably not a lot of time, right? Like, I'm getting more into it, uh, but I'm still, I'm not quite there yet. Uh, I feel like the best way to go, at least from what I know so far, is to kind of build your own assertions, right, that you can kind of, have names for different states that your application is in, or like, you know, I should do this, and then my assertion, I am logged in now, or something, right? Which may mean that in the nav bar, it says logged in as, but that kind of logic that determines what is being considered successfully logged in is isolated Mm -hmm. in one place, where if the user interface changes over time, you can just change it there, and all your tests are still going to run because the language that you've used to describe what makes a passing test is at a higher level of abstraction above what your testing framework is making available to you. Um, yeah, I, I'm completely with you on that. I, I think that when you're creating these acceptance tests, you need to start with language first, and, and whatever the language is the correct language yeah. um, for communicating the ideas. And then don't worry about what Mink is going to need or what any other thing is going to need from you. Because when you get in to make that context, you can attach the correct uh, logic to the the language. You can yeah. make that like really kind of reusable and yeah, like object oriented, right? Like yeah, and encapsulated in one place, so that if what that means changes at any point, yeah. you can change it in one place. Um, I guess like related to that, like um, do you do a lot of work like when you're working on like a, a client project and someone else is like the domain expert in like the language that you should be using to kind of describe what the system is doing. Um, do you work like directly with your clients a lot, like kind of like in a Skype call while you're writing tests or next to someone while you're like outlining these acceptance tests? Or um, No. So I have a few situations I'm in right now. I have a couple clients that I work with, but uh, in some ways we've introduced user stories, but not across the board. Mm-hmm. And I think that having user stories is really helpful for a lot of features, but not for everything. Uh, it can it can be kind of weird when you need something small or something yeah, like that. Sometimes you're trying to shoehorn something into that sort of as a I would like to so that format, right? Yeah. Um, um, but right now, the most of the projects I'm working on, I'm kind of the domain expert. And, okay. Uh, I have had luck lately. I, I kind of met this person, and they asked an interesting question about how to do something on IRC, and I thought, okay, well, I, I like this. I'll, I'm going to bite because I was just working on Laracon ad- administration, and I want to do some actual coding. And so I worked through this problem, and I actually got I actually got to work with them as a proper uh, domain expert and and get the the information out of them to make the tests 
And so that was really good. I'm really glad I did that. Uh, it, it had no real monetary value for me or anything like that. I just I needed the opportunity to explore modeling uh, and to explore this relationship with somebody else so that you know I'd be ready uh, to head forward. Can I ask you a question? Um, how and you earlier you said that when when learning TDD it was like you, you kept feeling like you wanted to quit and you wanted to walk away. What kept you going? Like how did you get through that thickness? Um. So I don't know if I would say that like I necessarily wanted to quit. Quit. Um, it was probably more like just I felt like I was getting blocked and that I wasn't delivering value and that I had to just move on and start writing code the old-fashioned way, like uh, without the tests there. And that always bothered me, right? Like um, I feel like it's probably pretty common, but like uh, I'm not the sort of person who can just like give up on something that I didn't understand and be okay with it. Like that's gonna like just like grind at me forever until I feel like I understand something. Um, so what kind of like kept me going there was kind of what I was talking about before was just kind of finding ways to write tests that didn't uh, end up being as perfect or as pure as what people kind of preach at you. So like compromising like, uh, the values, right? Yeah, kind of, right? So um, if that means like writing a lot of tests that are testing against an in-memory SQLite database that I'm uh, seeding at the beginning of each test with specific data, then I just learned to be okay with that and not worry about the fact that, oh, apparently my tests aren't supposed to touch the database um, because then my stuff is too tightly coupled to whatever. Uh, by just kind of like letting go of that a little bit, uh, it let me practice writing tests more and have the test coverage so I could run the tests and see that green bar that just like gives you that endorphin rush of like feeling like, yeah, like I just made some change and everything still works um, without having to like make that whole leap right at the beginning and like be able to do everything perfectly. And I definitely am not there yet, right? Like I actually, I still write a lot of tests that um, touch the database and stuff like that. And I would say like uh, probably the thing that helped me become okay with that was reading a lot more into the kind of testing philosophy in the Rails world. Um, like, have you read the RSpec book? No. So it's it, the title is misleading. It sounds like it would just be a tool on like how to use like a or a, a book on how to use a specific tool, but it actually has a lot of um, like theory about like writing tests around behavior instead of writing tests around different uh, things, right? And they have like a whole section in there on like model specs which are, you know, like in Laravel, we have Eloquent and testing, like, Eloquent models. And, like, not once does it even, like, allude to the fact that, like, you shouldn't be touching the database. It just starts from the beginning, like, okay, like, so we set up some fixtures and things use the database, and, like, it doesn't, like, frown on it ever at any point. And just seeing something like that where I'm like, okay, so, like, this whole, like, community who, like, have been, like, one of the, one of the bigger programming communities to, like, really embrace testing would be the Ruby community, and um, there's a lot of people there that will still tell you that stuff shouldn't touch the database if it doesn't have to, but I've, I feel like it's a little bit more relaxed and it made me not feel guilty about it. I feel like in the, in the PHP world, and it's, it's impossible to point to like specific examples, but for a long time when I was getting into it, I just felt this like general vibe around like, 
Active Record is automatically evil no matter what. You can never use Active Record if you want to be a professional. Like, and no one ever said that, but just like those are just kind of the voices that you hear. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, just the yeah. general vibe. Like, a lot of like armchair experts kind of like telling <laughs> you that everything you're doing is wrong. When when you get into it, you have a hard time figuring out how it could necessarily be done any way else. And it, sometimes it seems <laughs> like people have opinions uh, without necessarily having actually arrived at them through anything other than just exaggerating opinions that they've heard from other people and it's like this telephone game of like people like you know kind of putting things on a pedestal more than the person before and things yeah. just kind of getting a little bit too I think there's a lot of parroting um, you find somebody respect yeah and you you you're gung-ho you're you're trying to do the best you can you're learning new things you're putting yourself into uncomfortable positions uh, you're dealing with things that you're not really ready to deal with but you feel like pushing through it is going to be the right thing to do and so in doing that you have to kind of tell these things to yourself okay I need to do I need to be kind of really pure with this stuff I need to not touch the database because I this is what I want like these ideals sound like the kind of ideals I want to arrive at sure and I think that, that a lot of that makes sense. Um, I, I do think that we need to make more allowances for transitional uh, experiences. Like, yeah. I think one of the reasons that, that people would have to hit the database a lot with the tests would be because their architecture doesn't allow them to easily um, avoid doing so. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, that's okay. Like, I think that, you know... For me, when I started doing a lot of this rich service layer stuff, yep. uh, all of a sudden I can just not hit the database with any tests I don't want to hit the database with, you know? Sure. And it's it's very powerful in that way. But if you're doing a lot of stuff like Active Record straight in the controller, you're not you're not really going to be able to do that at all. It's just yeah. Um, the other thing, like uh, this, is, uh, this is a question for you, I guess. Like, um, a lot of people are building simplish things and and I mean everything probably seems simple at first and kind of gets more complicated over time but uh, there's a lot of things that like rely on functionality provided by the database that that I feel like people will tell you to still somehow try to test without touching any sort of database like if you're testing like a scope right and I want to say that like um, I have uh, orders, and some of them have a shipped date, and some of them have null for the date shipped. And I want to be able to like get a customer's open orders, orders that haven't been shipped yet that belong to that customer. Like, how can you write a test that really proves that running that method is only going to give you back orders that that don't have a date shipped um, without running it through the query that it's going to make to the database that does that filtering for you? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like some mm -hmm. things like are impossible, and and you can like try and test around it and, and write all these mock expectations and stuff. But then all you're really doing is like duplicating the implementation that you're That's expecting right. to write in the test, and it's not actually proving anything. Instead of saying like you know orders where date shipped equals null, I could write like orders where date shipped equals chicken. And as long as I had that in the test and in the implementation, mm -hmm. the test would pass. But it doesn't actually prove that it's doing what I really want it to do. So yeah. that that is, if you have to test a query, then you have to hit the database. Um, yeah. There's just no way about around it, really. But there's a lot of situations, and, and for example, 
a lot of people would say this is one where one of the places where Active Record, you know, really has some challenges. But I don't I don't know how you can get around this like all the time at all. I I don't think it's really even important to to me the reason you don't hit the database is because it's slow. Yep. And so you just don't hit the database more than you need to, right? Mm-hmm. So there's very few situations when you actually would need to. For example, if you're using repositories um, yep. and you want to test your repositories, then hit the database. You have how to. many repositories are you really going to have? So let's say you have 40 repositories right, in your project. Sure. Those 40 tests are going to hit the database. But all of your other tests that use those repositories, you're going to mock the interface. Yep, Totally. And so you're not you're not going to be hitting the database with any of that stuff. So you're just going to yeah. assume that the repository tests are working fine and yeah. it's okay. Um, that's the way I see it. Yeah, um, I agree totally. Um, the the isolated testing stuff. Uh, a lot of my talk goes into stuff related to that too. But um, have you watched like I'm, I'm guessing you probably have Sandy Metz's Magic Tricks of Testing talk? I don't know. There's a time when I went through probably as many of Sandy Metz's talks as possible in rapid succession, but I don't know if I hit that one specifically. Uh, it's the one where she has like a sort of four quadrant chart that like, or six quadrant chart or something that like says like what you should test and like how you should test it, and like half the chart ends up being like don't test this, and half the chart is do test this. Hmm. And she goes into sort of like um, the only time that she like ever mocks anything. Uh, is one particular quadrant on this on this chart, and it was like a really interesting talk to me. Um, but uh, related to like the whole mocking thing, right? Like uh, one of the things that I find tricky is the only way you know like when it's a good idea to set a mock expectation and test that like a certain method is being called on a certain class is if you understand like where that class is in your system and and that it is a boundary to something, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, in the case of, it's hard to come up with a specific example, but if you try and visualize the fact that you have some module, right, and it has some classes inside of it uh, that are kind of like, obviously it doesn't look that way like in your, in the text editor, but like when you're sort of visualizing how the structure of your application is laid out, there's like this section of code and like these like little objects kind of like are part of that and don't really matter anywhere else. Um, sending like, setting mock expectations from like the outer boundary talking to those to me doesn't make a lot of sense because that's the place where you might want to do some refactoring or change the API of something. If you, the place where it makes sense to me to like make mock expectations is when like the change in state is distant. Uh, so the example that I've used in the past is imagine you have like uh, an authentication system, right? And the way that you know that a user is authenticated based on a state check at the end of the day is that now there was like a new row added to like your sessions table in your database or something with that user ID and like the time that the session is going to expire. That's like at the end of the authentication process, that was like the change in state that occurred that has indicated that this person's logged in. If you are writing like an extra... API authentication layer, say, that, like, takes some token and does some stuff with that and ultimately makes a call to your regular authentication module saying, log in the person with this ID. To me, that's, like, the perfect place for, like, a mock expectations, right? I want, I want to say, like, make sure the login method is called on the auth module. Don't make sure that the row is inserted in, in the database because that boundary where you're talking to that module is more stable than the change in state that represents that the person was logged in. Yeah. So... To me, it's all about, like, I want to make 
assertions on the things that are the least likely to change, I guess, so that the stuff that is going to change, I can change without worrying too much about having to update my tests. Does that, yeah, does that and make sense that, as a concept? So, for example, if you have a class that takes a price object or some other kind of value object, you're not probably going to create mocks of those value objects. You're going to create yeah. them, and you're going to send them in, and these uh, classes have a lot of cohesion, and uh, you kind of expect them to all fit together, and not only that, it, your tests end up looking like what your actual, co actual code is going to look like. Yeah. Uh, and, and it makes sense, and it's it, it's it's like a better f uh, a fit. You're not testing implementation, you're testing like how these systems fit together and what, what's going to come out. Yeah. yeah, but some people would say that that's not a unit test anymore, right? Uh, and yeah, I think but, that's where you kind of run into these semantic issues that like result in these sort of arguments where arguments that for me, like before I had enough experience, enough experience with mm -hmm. it to like kind of make my own decisions, made me question whether I was doing things correctly. So before I had done it enough to realize that like, yeah, I'm okay with passing in like a real price object instead of like a test double for that price object, um, before I was okay with doing that based on my own experience, I would have spent a lot of time like worrying about like, oh, how should I do this? Like, but now my tests break when I make an update to the public API of, or no, my my app breaks, but my tests still pass when I update the API yeah. to the price mm -hmm. object because my mocks public API is no longer in sync with the actual API of the class, and you just yeah, run the reality is these objects are working together. Yeah, and and that that's just how it is. Um, if you, like you said, if you if you simulate the way one object is going to interact with another, then you're like locking yourself into a moment in time. And yeah, absolutely. It, you know, there's this talk. I think it's Ian Cooper called TDD: How It All Went Wrong. Or yeah, that was, a, that was one of the best testing talks I've ever watched. Because he talks like about what kind of things make you. Get like really kind of screwed over when you're when you're trying to do testing. And how many times, for example, would you have started testing in the past couple of years, and then some small thing changes, and all of your tests go red, and you you don't want to go and recode all of those tests. Yeah. But now, having a little bit more experience, you make a change, and yeah, your test goes red, or or maybe multiple tests go red. Then you just go into a couple files, make a couple changes, and it's it's good again. It's it's a lot yeah. easier to maintain. Um, I, I think that that's a really big barrier to, to testing in general, actually. Not not even TDD, just testing in general. Um, knowing when you're, te you're, you're creating this kind of uh, echo of the implementation inside the, the tested system yeah. versus when you're actually just saying, go do this, and I expect you to have this uh, behavior afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, that, that Ian Cooper talk, um, the thing that... We kind of talked about it a bit already, but that's where I first like was introduced to this concept of like basically thinking of some classes as being private and not necessarily testing those classes just like a private method. And that like stemmed from this idea where he was basically saying like, you know, the the process with TDD is red green refactor, right? And where you get into trouble is where you start introducing new tests in the refactor step. And that's basically where that sort of private class thing came from. If you build something that passes some tests, and now the tests are green, and now you decide to start extracting some of the some of the functionality of that into smaller yeah. objects, um, you shouldn't necessarily feel compelled to write tests for those objects. 
for the same reason that we were talking about before, if you decide to revert back to your previous implementation that didn't have these extra objects, where the behavior is still the same, all of a sudden your test suite's going to fail because you have tests for classes that like don't exist anymore. Um, I don't know, was, that was a really good talk. Uh, and it's, it's cool, too, because it comes from a, another totally different world, right? Like, that was probably the first talk I've watched um, from, like, the C-sharp community, like, about the TDD mm -hmm. stuff. It's, it's kind of... You don't necessarily see hear about these people that are kind of outside of the language that you program in a lot of time, and some of the best ideas always come from these people that, like, are big names in their communities, but, like, we've never heard of them in ours, so... Yeah, cool. I'm finding with the pursuit of DDD, I'm suddenly in Java and C Sharp and yeah. Scala. I'm just all over the place now, and you can you can watch a talk with with any of these object oriented languages and be able to follow yeah. it fine. And so, like in PHP world, there's only so much information about DDD, for example. But I found that when I just went out and just looked for domain driven design and just started digesting content. Uh, C sharp and and the Java world have had a lot of con uh, content from six years ago even for me yeah. to digest. Yeah, it's kind of funny actually when like a lot of time like some argument will happen on Twitter right and like one community and it's like an argument that another community had like four years ago and like totally solved but like we're still arguing about it because like we haven't been through that process yet or yeah, it's kind of so, funny. I have a couple of questions for you. Um, for one, do you think that there are any kind of specific prerequisites to getting started with TDD, things that you really should have figured out or or something along that, those lines before you can before you can actually just do it with any reasonable capacity uh, competency? Um, I don't know. I think it depends uh, on what level you want to write your tests at. Um, I think anything can have a test written for it before the implementation, no matter what sort of functionality you're writing, whether you're writing some behavior for some really small class or you're trying to describe something that's right at the top level of like your user interface. I, I think anyone can get started with TDD pretty much right away as long as you're willing to uh, be relaxed about um, the ideas that come from the purest standpoint that will become roadblocks and make you feel like you're not doing it right. Like, I think, like, TDD just has just has to mean that you wrote the test first. It doesn't necessarily have to mean anything more than that. I mean, it, it's semantics, right? But a lot of people will tell you, well, like, acceptance testing isn't even TDD. TDD is all about isolated unit testing. Um, I try not to look at it that way. And the other thing is it's a skill just like anything else, right? You have to practice it a lot. So there's never going to be a time where you've amassed enough skills in some other area where all of a sudden you can just start doing TDD and you're going to be good at it. So uh, I think if you're you know, a reasonably competent uh, programmer and you're not just trying to learn you know, the basic syntax of writing code, that you can probably play with it at least. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think having an, a study in object-oriented design is going to be a prerequisite um, because I think that there's, a, especially in like PHP, for example, there's a lot of self-taught developers. Um, yeah. And so what happens is you start worshiping the idea of making things work. So you, th you know, like for example, I was never like really educated, and so I've, I have this really long history 
of um, really focusing on, just, yeah, I can build anything, and like really working hard to, to make stuff. And at some point in time, I, I kind of realized that, um, and, and there's a really good tweet about this. I think it, it might have been Marcelo Duarte or something, and he was talking about how developers have a tendency to focus on tools over general knowledge, where general knowledge has like this much larger impact on the way that you see everything and the way you do everything. And I, I really look at myself and I think, okay, I can see where this has been true of me. It, if I learn uh, a, a specific, like for example, game dev framework or something like that, then I can I, I suddenly have new capabilities. I can make something new. Sure. But if I if I study object oriented design, I'm not like just turning over the ability to make something new. I'm I'm just making things better. You know. Sure. Uh, so I can really see where there's like this uh, goal of going after new tools so that you can have more uh, output. But I really think the object-oriented design is, is a necessary study. Um, when I started getting into testing in general, I realized that uh, my lack of object-oriented design skills is what was holding me back. Uh, after I put some serious time into that, I, I started coming back to testing. It was so much easier, and I, I got it a lot better. And, and putting a lot of effort into, into that really made a big difference. So I tried TDD kind of a couple times before, and it just, like, I ended up crashing and burning, just go, get going nowhere. Yeah. But focusing on object-oriented design and, um, you know, not, not worrying about tests first, just getting tests running and then learning from my mistakes there. And uh, th those things were kind of what got me to the point where I could start doing tests first. And even then, I was, I've, I've been doing Kata. Do you do Kata at all? No, I, uh, are you talking about like the like the Uncle Bob stuff where yeah, like a bowling like game or string calculator or Roman numerals? Yeah, I haven't actually done any of them, but it sounds like it would be a worthwhile thing to do. Are you finding that's uh, just kind of so you're basically you have like a problem and there's you write your you TDD the whole thing and you kind of like repeat the kata multiple times and just kind of like ingrain the steps that you took. Like, is that kind of the idea? Yeah, the idea is that you repeat the this process over and over again, and you make small improvements. Like as you realize that you're not using your keyboard shortcuts on your IDE correctly or other things, you're making small improvements. But you're very carefully focusing on doing TDD like an academic way. Mm -hmm. So you know you do only this much. You go over here, you run your test, it fails. You go go over here and make your code, then you run your test, it passes, and you keep doing the the prescribed Uncle Bob style, uh, fully dogmatic TDD. And yeah. uh, so, you know, the first time I did this bowling kata, and with every single step defined for me by Uncle Bob in a PowerPoint document, it probably took me like an hour and a half to finish it because you're supposed to memorize the first test. And every step, so I, I type this, I run the roll method, it fails, I go over here, I run my test. Every single thing, when you run your tests, what you type. Uh, how much of your implementation you type. These are all prescri prescribed for you. Okay. And so I did this over and over again until I could get through the whole test. And then every day I would go through the tests again, the, the, all five tests, um, and I would try to do my best to observe the correct processes, the correct procedure. And what it does is it kind of ingrains into the way of thinking, uh, the, the kind of what, you know, like the TDD way of thinking. Yeah. 
And I found that that was extremely helpful for increasing my speed because to, to do TDD for me is extremely slow. Uh, and until I did um, a lot of the CASA, then I, I wasn't able to even consider moving this into like a real workflow. It was just it was just not going to happen. I was just too slow at it. But when and I kind of like made that like a regular daily study, uh, I started seeing a lot of benefits. And then we started doing uh, some packages, like just like little things uh, with TDD and and that picked up and having a couple people that I know that are you know at the same at the same stages of development as me has has been really helpful so we kind of work together um, but but now it, it's starting to feel like I know how it's going to happen before it happens I'm just I'm it's not really TDD is not really that complicated once you get the the process uh, down a little bit and you have an idea how you're going to build what you're going to build it's kind of like really prescriptive it's yeah it's like predictable. But the thing is, if you do TDD in that style compared to just writing a test first, if you do TDD in the in the full uh, style, you end up with tests that actually have a, a real slightly subtle differences in meaning, right? And that they, you end up with a, a suite that you know is testing all these vari variants. Um, kind yeah. of by default. So if you say, when I run this method with this input and I get this output, and you type that all in, then you go and make it work, and then you move on, um, that's a very different process than um, saying, I expect this output, and then telling your class to return a literal number that is exactly that output, and then yeah. going back and writing the next test, which is essentially just, for me, I'm using PHP spec, and so I started thinking of all these in specs, and yep. it really helps me. It really makes me um, able to know what to test better. Because with PHP unit, I could think of a million ways to test things. Sure. Um, but all I really care is that my specs pass now. I don't. I don't care if all the possible crazy ways that something could be done are going to work all the time. That's not really in my spec, you know, uh, for lack of a better word. So having the specs reduces the amount I have to code. It reduces the amount I have to think in advance. Um, and so, so working with that mindset, which of course you can do with PHP unit, it's just until I started using PHP spec and um, started looking more into BDD, I didn't really even understand the concept of, of what a spec was in, mm -hmm. in that way. But but that really helped me know what code to write um, because as long as the specs are working and, and things are accurate, then I feel like this is good enough. And if this system ever needs to do something different, that's fine. I'll go write a spec for that. And, and build that into that system. Sure. Um, so uh, a quick question. Do you think that there are situations that are better or worse for TEDD? Um, do, have you run into this yourself, like personal experience situations? Like, for example, you mentioned that working with packages, it's, it's really easy to, to do TDD yeah. with packages. That was where I... a full web app or something? Yeah, um, by far... Testing packages is easier than testing an application, in my experience, anyways, um, because it's like a nice, tightly kind of packaged set of behaviors, right? It's meant to do like one thing as a package, and it maybe has a couple different ways to do it. But um, I don't know why. What makes it easier? I think probably what helps is that 
your starting point is at like the public API of some class. And usually when I'm building a web application, the first thing I do isn't defining the public API of a class. It's tinkering in the user interface, setting up some routes, and like a bunch of stuff where there's this really blurry line between like, do I need to test this? Is this just part of the framework that I don't really have to worry about? Or is this my own stuff? Yeah. Um, so something that's in a package, especially if you're building a package that has like zero dependencies, um, that's the easiest thing, in my experience, to get started with doing TDD on. Uh, when every single piece of code that the class that the package uses is code that you wrote and it's completely in your control, definitely that's where I found it to be easiest. Um, and then the hardest for me is uh, again like the the user interface stuff um, because like where I was saying before, as far as like testing where things are stable, I feel like it's not just like implementation is the least stable and then like the further out you go, it gets more and more stable. There's like this kind of sweet spot in the middle where it's like testing like a service class or something from the outside is a little bit more stable than testing at the controller level because the user interface is kind of more likely to change than the stuff that's happening in that service class. And then the implementation like deeper in that service class is probably more likely to change than the public API of that service class or something. So, um, the package thing is kind of perfect in that I, for that, and I mean, um, I've experimented with like uh, writing packages where I'm literally only testing like the public API of like the main class that gets used, and there might be 15 other classes in the package, but I was able to like TDD the whole thing and get full test coverage by just writing like oh, I want to be able to do this and have this happen, and I don't care, like, how it happens, but, like, I have that codified in a test, so I can make that test pass. Um, the problem you run into is, like, when you have some failure, a lot of the time mm-hmm. your your test failure is really distant from where the error ends up being. Yeah. But um, that's kind of the trade-off that you make between, like, flexibility of being able to refactor your implementation and knowledge of where your failures are happening relative to like what the actual cause of the failure is. And I don't know if there's like a, a sort of by the book purest way to determine exactly like where that threshold is all the time. I, th- I think again, that's another one of those, it's an art sort of thing that comes down to the context and like what you're expecting to change and, and stuff like that. Um, at least for me at the moment, but. Do you use a layered uh, architecture? Uh, with your apps, you like separate your presentation layer with like your web interfaces and command line interfaces, and then like have a service layer, and then have like a like, domain layer. Like, how, how does your apps? How do your apps usually work? Um, I would say they're layered, um, but not necessarily like I don't know if I ever really think about things like from that necessarily. I kind of detailed, like, uh, identified, like, structure. I mean, uh, I'm always conscious of, like, making sure presentation logic is staying with other presentational stuff. And uh, I honestly, I use Active Record for most things, so I'm not taking, like, a more of a hexagonal approach to things because I find I, I miss a lot of features that you give up. Even if you're using, like, Active Record in your repository, you end up losing a lot of, like, you know, 
attaching related models and stuff like that, you sort of end up not being able to do as easily anymore. Um, but uh, I, I don't know, like, I, I haven't gone so far as to do, like, the sort of command-oriented stuff that uh, you've been playing with, that, that, like, the Laravel IO stuff is set up with, and, like, Jeffrey Way has been talking about a lot of his screencasts and stuff lately. Um, so I don't know if I think about things, like, in necessarily a, a really always the same layered approach. Like, I just try and keep things isolated and separated to where things make sense. Um, I should look at something that I've actually built and, like, try and draw it on a piece of paper and, like, think about it that way, but I haven't. Um, uh, for me, I'm really <clears throat> I'm really rigid about the layers in, in my application. To me, the, the distinct separations are incredibly important for me. For example, um, you know, we have these commands, and we say if, if I want to display a blog post, for example... Mm -hmm. I actually instantiate an object, fill it with the necessary information. So what's the slug, for example, of the blog post or something like that? And I say, show this blog post, and I pass in the slug, and then I run it through the command bus. And then I'll get a response object back, and within that object may be the blog post, maybe related blog posts, it may be a collection of comments. Um, it, it's, it's all kind of... Um, so it, my controllers and my command line interfaces, they could both use that command, and they both could have all of the same content but displayed in a different way. Yep. I know what you're saying there. Like, I, I've never done, like, the command-oriented stuff, but um, I often will use, like, a service layer where I might have a class that's, like, responsible for creating users. Like, it's only responsibility is to, like, mm -hmm. create new users. And then the only thing my controller is responsible for is taking whatever input came in from uh, the form or maybe from the JSON API or maybe from the command line, and the only thing it's responsible for is translating that input into some unified format that, like, the service object um, can interpret. So yeah. that can be totally reused everywhere. And I th I definitely do that for everything. I mean, you try and keep the logic for anything encapsulated into one thing. And... This is sort of a side note to that, but I, I found something that really helped me do things that way was watching, like, the Destroy All Software screencasts. Mm -hmm. Have you seen any of those? Um, yeah, I've seen most and, of them. Yeah, Gary Bernhardt tends to name stuff in a kind of a weird way a lot of the time, where instead of having a class called, like, User Creator, it'll just be called Creates Users. Or um, it's like a verb instead of, like, a noun. Instead of trying to shoehorn, like, the name of a class to always be, like, some sort of, like... Something you could buy from a store that's responsible. User creation service. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but, but the problem that I found when I was always trying to give something a noun name, right, is, like, I might have, like, a, a product service or something, right? Because, like, uh, well, what would I call something that, like, um, you know, deletes, like, products that we don't carry anymore or something, right? Yeah. Um, what, what is that called? Is that, like, the no longer carried product deleter or something, right? It just sounds stupid. And I had a hard time creating a class that had a name that I thought sounded stupid. As soon as yeah. I stopped like, thinking about things in terms of nouns all the time, I had way less of, like, a personal issue with calling something, like, uh, deletes invalid products. That could be, like, the name of a class. And now all of a sudden it doesn't seem so absurd anymore. <laughs> so that let me, like, start really, like, um, extracting 
these behaviors into different classes instead of having like one service that was responsible for creating products, deleting products, updating products, or like any sort of different actions like related to a product that would just get lumped into some uh, just generalized product service. Like having a class, one class is responsible for this thing related to products, and and then my controller is just going to have like a product creator or a creates products object that it uses inside that action. And uh, doing stuff like that has definitely made things a lot easier to to test and also just easier to reuse implementations of these things across uh, different uh, user interfaces. I'm going to grab a uh, charger here, but I'll give you a little bit of a tour, I guess. Give me just one second, uh, and I want to talk through just one one example using your um, unavailable product deletion example. Need a charger. Is there a laptop charger somewhere? Because I'm still in this conversation, my laptop's about to die. That was a disaster. <laughs> I just got electrocuted through my headphones for plugging my laptop into the wall. <laughs> Sorry, okay. Sorry, uh, somebody requested that like we show our shirts. So mine's the floral print, thank you. And he's mine's the, the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> I'm also wearing gym shorts today at work. We keep things professional. <laughs> um, back to this example of how you would um, handle deleting un- like products. Sure. Um, yeah, this is totally I'm, contrived. So you're probably gonna like call me out on like some part of it that doesn't make any sense. Oh, but... no, I just want to talk through <laughs> this really quick and talk about how it helps me uh, in in isolating these liars. Okay. So for example, I might create a command called delete unavailable products. And then okay. I would pass it into the command bus. And then that's where it would be paired up with a handler called, like, for example, delete unavailable product handler or something like yeah. that. And that handler would have this uh, chunk of code. And basically what it would do is it would say, um, you know, hey, repository, give me all of the products that are unavailable. And then... You know, it would tell the repository to, to forget them, or it would call um, a method on the each of the individual products. Uh, for example, product delete that might fire off events that have to happen if a product's deleted. So, let's say you do, you, need, you delete a product and somebody had it in their wish list. Sure. Um, so you might have to have listeners that go and clear wish lists of these products or something along those lines. Um, so Jesse O'Brien says it's called the discontinued product request. That's what he would call okay. that. And so, um, but it, with that handler, now I'm interacting with the repository. I'm interacting with the actual domain object of a product. And there I can pass in, uh, for example, a mock of the repository interface for the product, so the product repository. And I could directly uh, 
kind of control all that, and there's there's no database happening, nothing like yep, that. Totally. So what happens is everywhere below the controller, I can fully unit test every single class cleanly. Uh, I wouldn't. I I don't see a value in testing a controller. You know, testing a controller. Yeah, um, I, don't, again, I don't either. I think like it makes more sense to test that stuff at the more acceptance test level and just like not worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know everything there is about testing. I I feel like I'm just like starting this journey. Um, and and just kind of getting going really. But uh, for me, when it when it comes to like the presentation layer, I don't even think about unit testing any of that. I, I use the hat and I, may, I say what does the user interface have to be able to do? Yeah, sure. Period. What does it what must it do? We do test for that. But then thanks to the, the isolation of the service layer and injecting the repository interface and injecting uh, any of the services necessary, yep. um, everything is it ends up fully isolated. And so for me, a TDD in a web app ends up being the exact same as TDD in a package. I just forget that Fair. the framework even exists, right? Yeah. Because to me, the framework is is all about uh, interacting with the web or yep. doing some web specific thing. Uh, yeah. Like Laravel does really some really cool stuff, like the queue handling and all that stuff, and I think that's really great. Um, but mostly, I I will never use that anywhere other than inside my controller or inside mm-hmm. the service layer, and just never anywhere else. Sure. Um, but when it comes to testing that service layer, uh, all you have to do is that those those injections into that handler are your boundaries, and you can mock those fully. Mock yeah, totally. Those. And then all you're doing is uh, saying, okay, for this example, the let me check what Jesse said. Discontinue product request. For the discontinue product request, sounds honestly that's that's harder sounding than what I would probably call Jesse, but. I love you. Um, all you have to really do is test that the, uh, I don't know, delete is called on the, or remove is called on the repository for the sure. products that, you know, whatever. Um, but then below that, you have your domain layer, which has the actual product class and the actual mm-hmm. interfaces for the repositories and those things. And those things are just pure as, like, the undriven snow. And uh, they're the easiest things to you know, test ever. It's basically like you're saying testing a package that you wrote all the code for. Yeah. Because in your domain, almost exclusively, you've written all your code for that. I mean, totally. you might be using interfaces um, from some, uh, I don't know, package that you have. Like I have this domain components package sure. for aggregate identity and all that stuff that I use. You might be using value objects. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, um, Matthias Frost has this uh, money-oriented package that has value objects for handling money that he, uh, I think, ported from another implementation in, like, C-sharp or something. Sure. Uh, but, so there's a lot of that stuff that you can use, but I think really in your, inside your domain, what you the only things that are external to your actual own code ends up being stuff that, like, almost you could say that your language should have had. It, it sounds uh, silly saying that, but, for example, generating a UUID or a GUID, you wouldn't rely on PHP for that, like not in a million years. Sure. So you would almost in, definitely say that I'm using an external package, like that Ramsey package. Yeah. And so um, when I'm generating a new product, for example, I'm generating a UUID or something like that, um, and I'm right there in the constructor or in the name constructor, I'm actually saying UUID give me like a random ID. So when I do product colon colon add, I don't know what the good term would be. Uh, it's actually doing that in there. So every new 
instance of an object I have, it has a unique identifier. Yep, totally. Um, and so I'm, I'm definitely okay with having that kind of stuff in there, but to me, how, separating the layers is so vitally important that I, it's a real focus of mine, and it's, it's one of the things that has, has dramatically changed the way I handle testing, because everything can be tested except... Everything can be unit tested incredibly simply, except for the presentation layer, which you just have acceptance tests for that. Anyway. Yeah, totally. Um, this is sort of a side note, I guess, and maybe we don't have time for it in this conversation, but um, with the whole, like, command handler bus stuff, uh, I know, like, in some discussions about it, the real sort of reason that people are saying there's a benefit to, like, passing everything through the same handler or through the same command bus is just for the ability to, like, decorate this command bus to add, like, kind of extra you know, add a log around it or, or something like that. Are you finding that's something that you're actually doing on a regular basis? Like, are you getting a lot of benefit out of passing things through this bus versus just having a service class in your controller that is basically what the handler would have been? Yeah, we log a serialized version of every command run in the system. Okay. Um, now, I've only been doing this for, I don't know, a year, not even a year, something like that, like nine months. Um, how long ago was New York City? Not that long ago. Three months ago? So however long that was plus like six months. Okay, nine months. And uh, so there's a lot I have to learn, but I think that the nice thing about the the command bus is that, yes, you can decorate it and do all kinds of crazy stuff with it. You can actually validate your commands. Sure. Uh, which is really, really awesome so that, you know, I don't know, maybe... I don't know, maybe there's some ACL stuff in there or... I don't know. I, yeah. I've been really kind of struggling with how to handle ACL in a lot of ways. Uh, I've been doing it in the handler and the service layer a little bit more, but how to, how to deal with it when it's handled in the domain and stuff like that. This is something yeah, that implementing domain-driven design goes into. And I guess we're kind of getting off the subject of TDD a little bit. But, sure. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that I really love the fact that I have one interface, and into the interface I can throw whatever command, and it's just going to sure. go. So do you kind of think about it in your head as, like, uh, you have, like, your controllers and stuff, which is kind of like your web interface, like, transport layer, and really all you're doing is, like, translating, like, whatever that controller action does in that input. You're figuring out, well, what is the command that the user wants to do here? And then you're treating your command bus as basically, like, the brain of your real application, and all that's doing is accepting commands that have been translated from the controller and firing those off into the services that are actually responsible for performing stuff. Is that kind of, like... I, th I could see how visualizing it that way makes it, like, regardless of if you're actually decorating the command bus to do anything, uh, just that architecture sounds nice, where it's, like, that's kind of, like the dispatch point for, like, everything my application actually does and everything outside of that is only responsible for translating input from other sources into, like, commands I've already defined that my system is actually geared up to handle? Um, so after we started doing this command bus stuff, just because we kind of saw somebody else do it, we thought that this, is, this seems like a really good a really strong way to handle it. I, I started watching a little bit more of like Uncle Bob's videos, and I, I noticed that he was doing the exact same thing. This okay. is something that Uncle Bob was talking about doing, but he called it use cases and use yeah. case requests. So actually, I end up having a namespace called like use cases, and that's where I put my requests, handlers, response objects, etc. Um, 
And the way I think about it is my application has a finite number of use cases. And whenever one needs to be built, I need to have a command for it, uh, something mm -hmm. that tr initia initiates it. And it needs to hold all of the necessary data. And then there's a handler that makes it go, that brings in together all the other pieces and orchestrates all the interactions. Sure. That's really how I think about it. I think about it as I want to be able to say, hey, application, you need to do this and pass in the stuff and have it go. Like, and the command-oriented interface is not that different from a method-oriented interface, except for with a method-oriented interface, you're injecting a lot of different services in your controllers, depending on how you write, write your yep. controllers and yep. organizing things. And um, it, it's otherwise not that different. Uh, but the command bus does give you that one centralized point, which... Yeah. To me, it's good enough an idea to warrant doing it. To me, yep. it has advantages over a method-oriented interface, cool. and I don't have enough knowledge to say why a method-oriented interface would be better in some circumstances. Sure. Right now, I'm just using a command-oriented interface in every circumstance, and it's it really feels just right. Like I'm so my whole team, we're all using it, and we're all so familiar with it that we can just just chunk away at it. And it's really nice too because we can just sit down and say, okay, what are the use cases? Let's design the request objects. And you know what what arguments do they take? And then we just work together and like kind of pair that out. And then everybody goes their own way and has their own job to implement those use cases. Yeah. So I, I don't know. There, it seems to me like it's a, such a like a it really remove it, for some reason using this system not only has the technical advantages but it also makes you think about things in the in a way that makes actual implementation easier later sure. um, because naturally you have like object oriented design right and yep. you're trying to separate different responsibilities so diff different causes of change um, you don't want those multiple causes of change affecting a single object etc but I, I think workflow works a lot of the same way. So I want my workflow components separated as much as possible. So with BDD, you're dealing with uh, clients and you're talking about what needs to happen. And then you get down into um, the TDD stuff and, and spec-oriented, spec-BDD if you're into that. And you say, what does this system need to do? And even before you're writing stuff, you're thinking, what does it need to do? And to me, yeah. having the thought of what I'm about to embark on before I do it is so important, and sometimes I can lose that. Like if I'm sitting down and say I'm just going to hammer this out just for fun, and yeah. and I'm not going to test it, I'm not going to do anything. Like it's really hard for me to explain, but if I'm doing BDD, I have these little points sitting in space, and these are the things that I have to reach, and all these little lightning tendrils are coming down from those points into my system and coalescing into like the, a single heart of the application. Sure. So everything I write. Is, is to support these specifications. But if I'm just saying I'm going to start at the bottom, I'm going to create my entities, I'm going to work up, then maybe I'm putting a lot of focus on this one class because I think this class is going to be really useful to add all these little um, bells and whistles to. And I add, I make this little subsystem that I think is going to be really useful. And I build up and I end up having this tree structure. Instead of like these lightning things that converge down on a single heart, I have this tree structure that expands and does all of these different things. And yes, some of the branches are hitting these specs that need to be done, but then there's branches that are hitting no spec that I coded and I spent time on and I thought through for really no tangible benefit. Sure. So I, I think that that is something that's really kind of making itself clearer to me over time is I, do, I have to make less code. I have to make fewer things work. I have to make fewer assumptions, fewer decisions if I get the specs out of the way first. Cool. Yeah, no, that's a really 
interesting way of putting it. It makes me more inclined to give it a try because uh, I have a hard time like embarking on something where I don't fully understand the benefit up front. Um, you know what I mean? Like I think some yeah. people like to just like, oh, well, that's an interesting idea. I'm going to try it and see if I like it. Uh, and then there's people, and I think I fall into this group, where it's more like, like I want to understand what's good about this idea. And that's not to say that I don't think that there's anything good about it. It's that like I need someone to convince me that I should be excited to try it. And like yeah. I haven't had that light switch like flipped yet on the on this command bus stuff. So that's that's made me a lot more intrigued. So I think I'll definitely yeah, um, have to go. So maybe we should get a couple people on here and have another talk about that exact subject or something along those lines. And and, and maybe like I I know this talk went a little long because we aren't we're not really trying to create a product or anything like a, a dis, like a podcast type situation or anything like that. Um, but maybe if we get a couple people, we have like a one hour discussion on a specific topic, and we can kind of discuss it. And I think that might be fun. And yeah, that'd be um, awesome. I think we're running probably a little long, and we should probably call it a day. But it, do you have any um, anything that you want to cover before we hang? Uh, on? No, I mean we've been going for an hour and a half, so we can always try it again in the future. But I think we covered a lot of cool stuff, and I definitely got a lot of insight, so hopefully uh, you got something out of the conversation too, and hopefully the people watching along in IRC too get some benefit, but that's been well, fun. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, also, I'm really looking forward to seeing you again in Amsterdam. Yeah, for sure. I'm pumped. Alright, man. See ya. Alright, thanks, John.